one right in front of you. Just grab that, turn to page 1011. Otherwise, turn to James chapter 1. And uh, our passage this morning, once again, is verses 26 and 27. Thank you guys for helping us to sing to the Lord this morning and to meditate upon his love for us in Christ Jesus. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. You've given us many treasures, and yet there's nothing like your word. There's no word like your word. It's perfect in everything it says to us. It's not only perfect, but it is living and active. It works, accomplishing its purposes in our hearts and souls. And so our prayer is that as we now devote these next moments together, looking at a portion of what we've just read, that your spirit would be at work in our midst. In particular, that your spirit would be at work in each of our hearts and souls, that our eyes would see wonderful things from your word, and that in seeing these things, you would transform us. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are still in these two verses. This is now our third Sunday to consider verses 26 and 27 of James chapter 1. We are exploring the difference between worthless religion and um, religion that is described here as pure and undefiled. A couple weeks ago, we noted that worthless religion consists of religious activity that doesn't transform us. We do religious things, but our hearts, and in particular, our words, our speech, are unaffected by our religious activity. James says that's worthless religion. And then last week, we looked at the first of the two components that James states that describes religion that is pure and undefiled. Religion that is pure and undefiled. Last week, we noted what is, is, is a, a religion that results in us having a heart to care for the vulnerable, widows and orphans, and those who are easily exploited and wronged. And now this morning, we pick up at this last thing there at the end of verse 27 for religion that is pure and undefiled before the Father is this. It, it, it visits orphans and widows in their affliction, and it keeps oneself unstained from the world. It is, it's that matter. Pure and undefiled religion is a religion that pertains to how we 
strive to keep ourselves, our hearts and our souls from being stained by this world. Two questions I want to put before us to maybe kind of help think about what's he talking about? What's going on here? Uh, we want to know what he's talking about because, well, wouldn't we want a religion that is pure and undefiled as opposed to a religion that is worthless? Um, the first question is really what? What, what? what does it mean to keep one's self unstained from the world? Second is how? How do we go about keeping oneself or ourselves uh, from being stained by this world? How do we go about being unstained from the world? So first, the what question. What, what are we talking about? We, pure and undefiled religion, the kind that we would aim for, the kind that James is saying, by the way, I'm for that one, not the other one, but, but, but what, 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 what is he saying here um, in terms of this pure and undefiled religion? Well, it, it strives to be unstained from the world, the term world in this context I mean, the first thing we have to think about is what is he talking about is, well, what does he even mean by the world? Uh, oftentimes in the Bible, not just here in this passage, but other places as well, uh, when we see the word world, we are not referring simply to the physical universe. We're, 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 we're not talking about creation itself. God made this world. It is his world He's placed us in this world to live in this physical creation. And he declared all that he made good. Even as we gather for Thanksgiving, we are reminded in the book of Timothy that God made all things good to be received with Thanksgiving. But the word world in this passage is not referring to the physical universe, not referring to just merely that which God created. Oftentimes in the Bible, the world, the word world, I'm going to have trouble putting those two together. The term world, um, and here, and this is how it refers to in, in this passage, as well as elsewhere, many times in the scriptures, it refers to the arrangements, the structures, the platforms of a system that is opposed to God. A arrangements, structures, and platforms that are opposed to God. It is, a, it is a corrupted system. It's also a condemned system. Its time is short. But at the present moment, it, operating on life support, it seems to be alive and well, but it is a corrupted system that that strives to defy the one true God. It is a corrupted system sourced in the corruption of the human heart. 
In other words, you get a, you get a, you get a whole mess of corrupted people together, and what do we do? We, we create a, a, a collective. We, we create a, a system. We, and out of that system, we build uh, arrangements and structures and platforms to, to promote this arrangement that defies God. It is, it is, if you would, a systematic rebellion against God. And, and the reason why this systematic rebellion against God exists is because located in the, in the, in the human heart are passions and desires that drive us to love and live for anyone or anything else but the one true God. It's a systematic rebellion against God that exists because located in the human heart are passions and desires that drive us to be loyal and allegiant to anyone or anything other than the God who made us. The, the collective, it's a collective uh, of, of disordered loves that originate in each of our human hearts that form this system called the world. So that's what James is referring to when he's talking about to keep oneself unstained from the world. He's not talking about the, to um, keep oneself from... Um, somehow having any contact with this created world. Now, what he's talking about is, is, a, is a human arrangement that originates in each human heart that, that seeks to collectively defy God. So that's why, since to keep oneself uh, unstained from the world could not be accomplished merely by us saying, I'm going to move from St. Charles County and I'm going to go live in northwest Missouri in a monastery. Now, maybe there's some of the particular trappings and expressions of this world system that you don't find over there in that part of the state. And yet what you do find over there in that part of the state is the same sort of human desires and commitments that feed worldliness to begin with. So you, so you know what you would find at a monastery? you would find worldliness. Or you say, well, okay, I'm, but I, I'm not in like a monastery guy, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to move to the rural parts of Pennsylvania or, or I'm going to move to uh, uh, parts of um, northeast Missouri and I, I'm going to join the Amish. We're going to dress a certain way and we're going we're gonna to get rid of everything electric and... Uh, we're going to sell the car and buy a horse and buggy because we're going to avoid the world in its current cultural expression. Well, you know what you're going to bump into if you do all of that? You're going to still bump into worldliness because while the particulars uh, of the system itself uh, it may be different than the system that we live in down here, uh, what's the same up there is you still got people with the same human heart that has passions and desires that create arrangements and structures and platforms that defy the living God. So you, so you, you, you can't locationally 
escape this issue of being unstained from the world. There's no place you can move to on this planet, except for maybe Wyoming. But actually, it's 30 below right now in southeast Wyoming. So that's why there's no worldliness there. It freezes. But anyway. Um, so, so, so to be stained by the world uh, entails being shaped and influenced by these arrangements and structures and platforms of the world's system, which in defiance to God actually tries to influence and shape us in a way that promotes ungodliness, unrighteousness, lawlessness, wickedness, vile strategies for living. The shaping and influencing strategies of the world certainly include behaviors and actions, the way we choose to actually carry ourselves and to live our lives. But, but the real starting point to keep oneself from being stained, to keep oneself from being unstained by this world, the starting point is not merely considering this matter at the level of behaviors and actions. The first place that the world system stains us is in our thoughts and in our affections. To act and behave like the world system promotes if we're, if we're already acting and behaving like the world system promotes, uh, then we are already stained in our thoughts and affections. We become stained when we let the world shape and influence how we think about life, how we estimate what's important in life, how we grasp what is right and wrong in life, how we evaluate the good, the true, and the beautiful in life, how we develop our convictions about life. When, when we think and value in a manner inconsistent with the truths revealed to us in Scripture, we are stained by the world. When our assumptions and our expectations about life are rooted in the world's thinking and not in Scripture's thinking, then we are stained by the world. It, 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 don't hear me out. I'm not, I'm not saying that behaviors and actions are, are unimportant or irrelevant. Uh, it, 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 our outward actions um, are relevant and important. What I'm saying is that, is that we've got to nip this in the bud. In other words, uh, that by the time we get to the point of behaviors and actions, those are driven by thoughts and affections and by deeper loyalties and desires and passions Our outward actions are driven by our thoughts and desires. And so if we truly want to address our actions and behaviors, we got to go upstream. we got to go to the pure mountain stream of, of our thoughts and our desires itself. Our actions, our actions just um, uh, uh, 
show, uh, uh, just push the stains of our thoughts uh, even deeper into the fabric of our lives. Just a harder stain to get out. The New Testament is full of warnings to think about thinking differently than the world. The world system, not the created universe itself. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says to us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. It's an intriguing thought there. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You and I are to strive so that every one of our thoughts and affections are thoughts and affections that are in accordance with life lived in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And sadly, when we adopt um, thoughts and affections that are not in accordance with the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have been in this passage, the Colossians passage I just read, we've been deceived and we've been taken captive. Or Romans 12, 2, the Apostle Paul says, and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of our minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you see the pattern that's unfolding here? It matters how we estimate and understand and grasp life. We will either have our thoughts and understandings and convictions shaped by the Scriptures and therefore remain unstained from the world, or we will let the world teach us what it wants us to know, and we will be covered in stain. Or another way to frame this conversation is, uh, what's your worldview? Well, I ain't got one of them. Oh, yes, you do. We each try to make sense out of life. Part of the beauty of being made in the image of God is that we're, we're always trying to figure out the meaning of life. We're always trying to figure out what's up. I mean, it's just part of the gift. That's what makes, makes humanity different than the animal kingdom it, it, it is that God has built into us a, a certain kind of rationality uh, that, that tries to interpret and make sense and, and bring meaning to life and, and we try to make sense out of life and, and, we, and, 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 and what, what happens to us uh, and we try to make sense out of what happens to us in life as well and, and how we make sense of life and how we interpret what is unfolding in our lives, the grid by which we interpret that is rooted in and informed by our basic worldview, our way of looking at the world. Or put it another way, the, our, 
our worldview is our set of assumptions through which we look at life, almost like the color of our glasses, if you would. In other words, if I had yellow glasses right now, that would color the way I look at you. I'd say, y'all look jaundiced. We better, we better put you under the lights or something. But, or if, um, if I had red glasses on, I'd say, why are y'all blushing right now? I mean, that was a, our worldview, our way of looking at life is a lot like the pair of glasses that we would put on that would color or taint or biased, or interpret how we would look at life. The way that we would, therefore, look through our worldview to perceive what is good and what is right and what is true and what is beautiful. What is beautiful in, 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 in or with us, what is beautiful with the life that we live in, what is beautiful in relationship to people around us, and what is true and right and good and beautiful about God and the world that he has made. You, you may not be able to like spit it out right now and fully articulate it yet, but I, I would submit to you that you and I have a whole host of answers to a whole mess of questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? Who are all these people and things around me? Or, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with all these people and things around me? What, what's, what's wrong on this planet? Why do we do what we do? Why is it so hard to live with all these people and things on this planet? Or, what's the solution? What's the solution to what ails me and ails everybody around me on this planet. Who is Jesus? And why is he so unique? Or does he have any relevance in my life? How does Christ rescue us and change us? Or why am I here? What's this life all about? How can I experience things like peace and and purpose in my life. Where is all of this heading? Is, is, there, is there a design to this? And, and, and so then, like, what is my destiny in this purpose and where all this is heading? And in the meantime, what's my life to be about? You see, either, either we will answer those sort of basic questions from God's Word or we will let the world instruct us. Only two options there. Um, either we will be stained by the world's thoughts and evaluations and answers to those questions, or our pure and undefiled religion will demonstrate itself in our pure and undefiled answers from God's word, undiluted truth from God's word to answer those questions. Now, while we're on the subject of being unstained from the world, um, something that James does, he's, he's already done this, he, he'll introduce something in the first part of his book, chapter one or 
we're about to embark on chapter two, but, but he'll, he'll come back later before the book is out and he'll touch on this again. And so like here, here this morning, he's talking about being unstained by the world, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Um, and, uh, and, and, and he'll, when he comes back later in chapter four and touches on this matter of, of the world, this, this system that lives in rebellion or defiance against God, um, he will come back with a bigger wallop on us to, to, to help remind us that, you know, we're not talking about a little insignificant stain here. We're, you know, just like, you know, um, uh, you, you, I, I don't know, I'm the kind of person that if, if, if the stain on my pants is not too noticeable and I can slip out of the house before Diane catches me, I'll just keep on wearing those pants. It's just like, I mean, I'm of the opinion that blue jeans should really only be washed about once a year. <laughs> I, I mean, if, if, if I hear that some of you wash your jeans every week, I don't even want to be your friend. You're ruining good denim. Now, I, I know some of you may have jobs that for our sake, please go wash your jeans every week. But, um, you know, but anyway, I, I digress. But we're not talking just a little innocent stain on our garments here that we can slip out of the house. And so, for instance, in chapter four, here's how he opens up the conversation talking about being stained by this world. He says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow. There's no neutrality here. To be stained by the world to let the world stain us is to actually be unfaithful to God, is actually to live as though we are at enmity with God. So that's the what. Now let me, let me shift real quickly here because I got a lunch to go to. Let's answer, answer the how. How? How do we prevent how do we reduce staining since it's a big deal? It, it, it really goes to the core of our relationship with God. Well, the good news that the scripture gives to us is there actually is someone who has lived on this earth and has remained unstained. That's not something that any of us can natively make claim to. But the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God himself, our God is a community of three peoples, three people, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, 
set aside the exercise of all of his rights and prerogatives of being God, and he humbled himself and became a man, took on flesh, and in his humility he became obedient, even obedient and to the point of death. And throughout his entire life, and even as he hung on that cross, there is one thing that is absolutely essentially true about him, is that at no moment at any uh, time in his life did he get any stains from this world on him. And so we must look to him. If, if we're like, wow, true religion uh, keeps oneself unstained from the world, uh, then uh, I need a model who can like um, assist me, help me, teach me, learn me uh, how to move about life so that I'm unstained by the world. And, and, and so as we look to Jesus, and there's lots of places we could jump into at this point, but, but, but the first place that my brain ran to this week is um, we can learn uh, some things from Jesus as to how he was unstained from this world, even in the context of the occasion in the Gospel of Luke in which he is in the wilderness, and he is being tempted, we're told, by the devil. And something that Jesus says to the devil in response to his first wave of, of temptation, he says to the devil, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, it's written, meaning that Jesus is actually pulling a quote out of the Old Testament. And, and that quote is actually in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It's, it's part of the words of Moses, but it's God's word to us. And, and Jesus is quoting this Deuteronomy 8, 3 passage, in which the full passage says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What Jesus is t pointing us to grasp from that passage is that your life and my life, our life is ordered by who we are listening to. We are always, you don't have a moment in your day that you're not giving your ear to somebody. Someone's voice is whose voice you and I are listening to, that we hear and that we follow and that shapes our thoughts and it shapes our affections, that therefore drives our behaviors and our actions. The, the voice we listen to shapes our viewpoint and uh, in which uh, it, uh, it, it sets our life on the course that we live. We're listening to somebody's voice because somebody, everybody is offering something that has pricked our interest, something that we were made to receive and experience. You and I lived to, to receive things like hope, promise. And so we will more than quickly lend our ear to somebody that's offering something of hope 
and promise and peace and joy and strength and direction. In other words, you're looking for answers. And where you and I get our answers from is it really plays out how you and I, how deeply embedded the stains of this world are placed into the fabric of our lives. Since we were made by God, there's never one of us who doesn't on some level feel enslaved. We feel in bondage. And so we're looking for a narrative in life that explains how we might be liberated, that explains how we might be set free. And there are true narratives, i.e., the gospel that explains liberation, and there are false narratives that explains liberation. There's never a one of us, since we live in a fallen world and yet we're made, by the image, we're made in the image of God, there's not a one of us that, that don't instinctively know that there's something broken in our lives about being made in the image of God. There's something that's not right. There's something that needs to be fixed. There's, we, need to, we need to figure out a way to feel well. There's hope and promise from the gospel that explains how what is broken in us gets fixed. And there's false narratives that offer false promises and false hopes as to how what's broken in us can be fixed. Since we're made in the image of God and we're now cut off from relationship with God because of our sin, there's never one of us that, uh, that doesn't feel a bit lost. We feel aimless. We don't know if we should make a right turn or a left turn at this intersection. We just, we, we just don't know which way to go. And, and, and we don't even know really like who we are, what our identity is. Because if we could get a handle on that, it might help us to know, I should turn right or I should turn left. And yet, when we feel our lostness, there is the gospel that gives sure, true, good, beautiful direction. And then there is the world system, its arrangements and structures and platforms that says, uh, look over here, uh, we, we've got direction for you. We've got, we can help you to know your identity and who you are. Where will we go for answers? Long before we talk about behaviors and actions, we are talking about the staining of the fabric of our souls by the thoughts and affections that we adopt from the false hope and false promises that the world gives to us. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and then verse 5, says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. He says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion uh, uh, raised against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to obey God. 
In other words, we believe that there is a story. It's the one true story of the universe that explains how you and I can be liberated and set free. Uh, it, we, we believe that there is a true story. It's the one true story that explains how we can be made well and fixed in our brokenness. Uh, we believe that there is one true story that explains how our lostness and our aimlessness and our, our, our not even awareness of who and what we are uh, can be answered and resolved. And so every idea, every thought, Every philosophy, every viewpoint, every opinion that does not accord with the scriptures, we reject. And we want to live not uh, by bread alone, but we want to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We want our ears to be filled with the truth of God's word. And we want that which doesn't afford to the truth of God's word, we want to expunge that from our ears and yank it out of our hearts as fast and quick as we can. Or if we just simply follow what James is in this whole section here, James is at, at the tail end of a segment they began in verse 19 of chapter 1. And what, has he, what did he start us off with, with thinking about? He says there um, in, um, in verse... Um, 19 of chapter 1, know this, my beloved brothers, not every, uh, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James says, be a hearer of the word. But then he builds on that in, in verse um, 22, uh, 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 but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. So, so how, how, do we, how do we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God? Well, James' rendition of that is that, that we are those who are eager to hear and receive what God's word says to us. And then when we hear what God's word says to us and we receive it, then we implement it, then we do it, then we apply it to our lives. But you know what? You and I need more than a model to keep ourselves unstained from the world. We, we need to know this Jesus not just as a pretty good guy that did a pretty good job of doing the near impossible, and that is keep oneself unstained from the world. No, no, Jesus did keep himself unstained. We've already made that point. But Jesus Christ has done something for us that deals with our existing stains and gives us a sure hope to begin to live differently. For as it turns out, if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, then um, you may not be able to see your stains but God has seen your stains. You are a stained mess before a holy God. So it's, it's not just a merely a matter of, boy, I'm, I'm going to try better this week to keep myself unstained from the world. No, the, the starting point this morning is 
what do we do with your existing stains? The prophet Isaiah says this, though your sins be as scarlet, blood is, is a hard stain to get out of a piece of fabric, isn't it? Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. You see, all of us this morning have arrived with stained souls, and yet any of us can leave here this morning with our stains removed. You see, before a holy God, we have, we have not loved God, we have not thought of Him, we have not trusted in Him, we have not glorified Him, we have not obeyed Him in all the ways that He should be thought of and glorified and trusted in and obeyed. And, and, and those sort of commitments from our hearts have left us a big stained mess. And yet when Jesus lived the perfect, unstained life he lived and he went to the cross, at the cross, he acquired all that was necessary so that you and I could receive pardon before God. And, and not just pardon and that God would keep us at a distance, but pardon so that God would now bring us into his family, that we would be his well-loved children. You see, any and all who this morning would turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it would be said of you this morning that though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. So turn to Jesus. Trust only in the Lord Jesus Christ. He and he alone can liberate us. He and he alone can fix what is broken. He and he alone can provide meaning and direction to our lostness and our aimlessness. Turn to Jesus. But you know, Jesus not only provides a full and complete pardon, Jesus also, by his very same death that pardons us, also gives us ability and new direction so that we live henceforth unstained by the world. In Galatians chapter 1, it says that Christ died for us to rescue us from this present evil age. That, that should be a word of hope because you say, well, Joe, as soon as I leave out of here, I'm going to be bombarded with all of these messages from the world that try to sell me on its hope and its promises, that, that try to explain the universe to me and explain who I am and what I am. And I, 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 I'm, I'm being hit from the left and to the right. I'm always being tempted to listen to the voice of this world and its system. Jesus Christ has imparted his spirit in all who trust in him, that we would live above the fray of the lies and the deceits of this world. He has rescued us from being in bondage and entrapped and deceived by this world. All who trust in Jesus can go forth because Jesus tells us, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Father, thank you for your word there's no word like your word. Thank you that you give us direction in life on how we could have a religion that is pure and undefiled. 
For Father, we, we we're not interested in just buying religious time and having a worthless religion. We want a religion that is pleasing to you, that is in accordance with your will and your desires. And so we, may we see Jesus front and center in our lives, the one who is unstained and yet the one who cleanses us of our stains, the one who is not subject to the false promises and hopes of this world, and the one who indwells us so that we too would not succumb to the false promises and hopes of this world. We thank you that you've given us your word We thank you that you've given us your people, the church, that through your word and in the context of your church, we could hear your voice. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.